0: All right, let's turn to First Peter, second week in First Peter. We covered the first four verses last week, and I want to read verses 3 and 4, which we covered last week, but it'll help lead us into the section we're going to cover today, which is verses 5 through 9. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus lives, we have a living hope. Uh, Not much good having a dead hope, is there? To an inheritance, we covered that inheritance last week, incorruptible and undefiled, so we know right there that this inheritance cannot be an earthly one because everything that is of this earth is ultimately corrupted and defiled, is it not? I mean, simply if nothing else, by time, by aging, by deterioration, by wear, the treasures of this world are temporary, they do not last. So our inheritance is an eternal, spiritual inheritance in Christ, but it's actually more than just spiritual because as we read about the wonders and the glories of god's eternal kingdom the new jerusalem where we will dwell forever streets paved with translucent gold and so forth but the amazing thing about god and his kingdom uh, here on earth gold is a highly valued treasured commodity and it's very expensive in god's kingdom gold is used for pavement An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Yeah, we get these beautiful new shiny objects, whether it be a car or whatever it might be. And over time, they fade away, right? But the inheritance we have in Christ doesn't fade away. And where is it reserved? In heaven for you. And if you look at the back of the book of Revelation, Jesus says... Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. And so we would do well to focus more on those eternal rewards and less on the temporary rewards of this life. Let's pray and we'll continue here in First Peter. Father, thank you for this book written by a great man of God, a man with uh, whom we are very familiar and have enjoyed studying about him in the Gospels. Very colorful character. Who emerged as, uh, if not the leader, of the New Testament church, certainly one of them, one of the most dynamic and powerful preachers of the gospel in all of human history. And so we know he has uh, important things to share with us. We ask you to bless this study today as we continue on in the book of First Peter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, First Peter, 1: five: Who are kept by the power of God? through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who? Who is who? Us. He's just spoken about us here in verses 3 and 4. He talks about us being begotten. means born again. Begotten to a living hope. We who are begotten unto a living hope are kept by the power of God. Which means once we have made that transition from darkness to light, from death to life, we've been born again by the Spirit of God, we have a responsibility, of course. Paul tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So once we have been given that precious gift of eternal life, we've been born again, our sins have been forgiven, we've been filled with the Spirit of God, that's when the work really begins. Jesus did the hard part. Coming into this world, condescending the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, coming down into this polluted, evil, wicked world, taking on human form, which, you know, we pride ourselves on our human form, or some of us do. or we, You know, that's why people spend so much money and time working out, getting plastic surgery, doing all the things that they do, uh, getting a nutritional consultant and a personal trainer, and blah, 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 right? Because we think our human bodies are so amazing. But for Jesus to take on a human body was a great giant step down. (laughs) And He did that for us. But once we have been transformed, born again, converted yes we have a part to play and it's a part that we must play every day for the rest of our lives till we see jesus face to face do we sometimes fall short do we often fall short yeah thank god for his grace and that's a big part of peter's message here is the grace of god so ultimately though we do have responsibilities as children of god when push comes to shove we are kept by the power of god We are not kept. No more than we are saved by our own efforts are we ultimately kept by them. We are kept by the power of God. That's a good thing, isn't it? I'm glad my salvation is in His hands and not in my hands. We're kept by the power of God. It means, kept means guarded or protected. When you're protected by God's power, you are totally Protected. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Obviously what Paul is saying is here, none of these things can keep us or separate us from the love of Christ. But, as we read this passage in Romans 8, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I thought we were kept, guarded, protected, by God's power, then why are we talking about tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Why would these things happen to us? If we're kept by the power of God, and yet, Paul obviously went through all of these things. He speaks from personal experience. Jesus told his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. So what is it then that God is actually protecting us from? That's where a lot of people get tripped up because they think this means they will never have any problems. And there's a certain segment of the church that actually teaches that. And it's very discouraging because the first time you get into trouble, then that doctrine goes right down the drain and it heaps self-condemnation upon you because you think, well, I must be horrible. God must not love me. God must hate me because my pastor, my teacher told me that if I have enough faith, I won't ever have any problems. Well, all you got to do is read the Bible and you know that's not true. But what they do is they selectively choose certain scriptures that make it sound that way. That's called proof texting. That's why we do expository Bible teaching here. We go through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that we're not caught in the trap of proof texting. In other words, I don't have my own agenda and my own points to prove I'm simply bringing to you the truth of God's word. That's my responsibility as a shepherd. So what is it then that God is actually protecting us from? Let's go down to Romans 8, 37 through 39. Yet in all these things, we are in all these things. In tribulation, in distress, in persecution, in famine, in nakedness, in peril. Or if we come up against a sword which is becoming more and more likely in these days, isn't it? In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, kept by the power of God. Because the worst that could happen is they kill you, and yet you're with God. You enter into His presence. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. For I am persuaded, writes Paul, neither death nor life nor, neither death nor life death can't separate us from God because when we die we enter into his presence it's interesting that Paul even mentions life because there are certainly things that happen in our lives that if we were to allow them to have the potential to separate us from God trials will make you bitter or better So sometimes we think the worst that could happen is to die. I think I've shared this before in my testimony about my heart attack. The hardest part was surviving. Because for a period of time when you have a near-death experience, you're kind of obsessed with the idea that it could still happen at any moment. And in fact, statistically, that's true. Especially for the first 30 days after an initial myocardial infarction you've got a great chance of having another one and dying. When I was having it, I was at total peace, praying in English and in tongues. The prayer language was very active at that point. But I was ready to go. I even called my wife down the hallway at the hospital. She was kind of walking away there, and I'm getting ready to go into uh, the lab for my uh, catheterization and uh, all that. I said, wait a minute, come back here, kiss me. This might be the last time I see you in this world. And I I believed that, but I was at peace. I was ready to go. But afterwards was more difficult. We often think the worst thing that could happen is to die, when in fact, dying is easy compared to a lot of the things we face in this life. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, Satan's demonic henchmen. Nor things present, nor things to come. Some people get caught up in worrying about all the things that might happen. I hope you're not one of those. But if you are, I want to encourage you today at the end of the service to come and get prayer. Because that is one of the main snares of the enemy is to get people so concerned and so worried about all the possible scenarios. Well, this might happen, that might happen. And he uses it to trap us in fear. Paul says those things can't separate us. The things that are right now, the things in the present, nor the things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is he protecting us from? He's protecting us. He's guarding us we're kept or guarded by the power of God, He's protecting us from being separated from His love. He's preserving us and protecting us for eternal life in Christ, to live with Him forever. We talk about these things that sound negative that Paul talks about. But our faith is strengthened through trials and testings of this life Why does God not keep these things from us, the trials, the testings, and so forth? Because He uses those to strengthen us and to uh, grow us even as His power and strength carry us through these trials. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This is the verse that our friends love to quote to us when we're having a trial and then we get mad at them. (laughs) Count it all joy, bro! You want to smack them. But you don't, hopefully. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, different kinds. There's a multitude of trials out there uh, just waiting for you. (laughs) Knowing, how do we know this? Because God has told us Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's certainly true, isn't it? When We, we talked about this on a Thursday night. Obstacles. The Jews returning from Babylon from captivity. Book of Ezra. We're studying on Thursday nights. They came back. God worked through Cyrus, the king. Cyrus made a proclamation, a decree, telling the Jews, Go back to Jerusalem rebuild your temple pretty amazing he even gave them money to do it and all kinds of resources and so wow this has got to be god this has got to be the lord this pagan king has given out a decree he hasn't just suggested it. he did, oh you guys might want to think about going back to israel and rebuilding your temple and pray about it no he commanded them to do it wow God is in it. Let's go. 50,000 Jews went back. Some stayed in Babylon. But when they got there, in spite of the fact that God had worked through Cyrus to make this decree, making it abundantly obvious that God wanted them to do it, even giving them the resources, well, then the Samaritans, the locals that had kind of taken over the land in their absence, were having none of it. They were not happy at all. And then there were Persian administrators on the western side of the euphrates river that got into cahoots with the samaritans and they fought the israelites tooth and nail now ultimately they did get the temple rebuilt but not without a lot of opposition and as i shared on thursday nights i've heard too many christians say this well it must not be god i keep running up against these obstacles these roadblocks and surely if god was in it it would be smooth sailing right Where did you get that idea? Certainly not from the Bible. God's people have encountered opposition from day one. You ever remember Adam and Eve and the serpent? Hello? So I just want you to understand that. If you're one of those naive, and I I don't mean that disparagingly, I'm not trying to put you down, but if you're one of those naive believers that thinks, When God's in it, everything should go smooth all the time. And the moment you hit an obstacle, you back away and say, well, it must not be God. That's just not how it works. It's abundantly obvious here from the writings of Paul that that's exactly what does happen when you follow God. You encounter all kinds of obstacles, but the point is nothing can separate us from God's love. And Peter is telling us we're kept, we're guarded, we're protected by the power of God in any and every situation. One more verse, and we'll move on. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. And yet, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, you know, you just don't understand, Pastor. Nobody's ever gone through what I'm going through. And maybe you've felt that way at times, but again... Your feelings are not the truth. The truth is the truth. And God's word is truth. God is truth. Jesus is the truth. And so we need to take his word over our feelings. Because that's another thing the enemy would like to do. He wants to convince you that nobody has ever encountered a trial, a difficulty like the one you're going through. Therefore, no one can understand. Poor you. Poor, poor, pitiful you. Thank you, Linda Ronstadt. No, <laughs> And therefore, nobody can help you, including God, because that's what the devil wants you to believe. The, your trial is so bad, even God can't help you. That is What a lie from the pit of hell. Right? So let's, let's get things in perspective. And how do we do that? From God's point of view. Even though you think nobody else has ever gone through what you're going through, Nobody can understand. Well, God tells us, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Somewhere, somebody has gone through exactly what you're going through. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. See, the understanding here is that you're walking with God, you're following God. You're not perfect, but you're practicing regular repentance and confession of sin you're in the word you're in prayer you're in fellowship these are all elements that are critically important to maintaining a healthy spiritual life now again no good works are required for salvation but it's just like your car let's compare you to a brand new vehicle you get saved all the sins are washed away, you're a new creature in Christ, you're in that spiritual honeymoon period, you're all excited, you go to every service, every Bible study, right? You're on fire for God. But if you want to stay in that place, there are things that you have to do. If you don't do them, then just like your car, if you don't maintenance it, if you don't change the oil, if you don't air up the tires and so forth and rotate them and do all the things you have to do to keep your car in tip-top running condition, it will still go for quite a while. Unless it's a Yugo or something, you know. (laughs) Which they don't make anymore. There's people here today probably who were born after the Yugo uh, disappeared. The early Hyundais were nothing to brag about either. But it'll go for quite a while. Who knows? 75, 100,000, 150 miles. But if you don't do anything to it, eventually one day it's going to fall apart. It's going to break down, right? You started out with a brand new beautiful car, great condition, but you did not maintain it. On the other hand, the better you maintain it, the longer it's going to last. The same thing is true of our spiritual lives in Christ. If we want to stay in tip-top running condition, right then we need to do those things and then God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able my point is this I don't know how many people I've heard say well I don't believe this because I can't what I'm going through right now I can't handle it God has brought more on me than I can handle but wait a minute did God bring it on you or did you see, when we walk in disobedience, we can't blame God if we find ourselves in a situation that seems beyond our ability to cope. He promised He would not allow more to come upon you than you were able to bear, but a lot of times we bring stuff on ourselves. And then we try to say God's a liar, God's word is not true, but no, no, God had nothing to do with it. I guarantee you, god did not tell you to commit adultery god did not tell you to fornicate oh but now i have aids see god broke his promise he he's brought more on me than i can bear i can't bear this idea of having aids and i'm probably going to die no god didn't do that god didn't tell you to rob that circle k and now you're in jail and this oh this is more than i can bear i'm incarcerated god didn't do that you did but he still has grace and mercy and there is no sin that he will not forgive except the unconfessed sin. That doesn't mean you might have to pay the price for your actions. I just want you to understand the context. God keeps you. You're kept by the power of God. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But all these things are spoken within the context of someone who is seriously following God, taking their relationship with God seriously. Do you understand? Which, I hate to say this, I don't mean to sound judgmental or condemnatory, but by my own observation, and not just mine, but others that I highly respect, I would have to say that the majority of people, at least in the Western civilization, in the United States of America, the majority of people who claim to be Christians are not taking their walk with God very seriously. It's obvious. Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. But I can't be concerned as much with that as I am with you guys. My responsibility is to this flock, to this body, and... You know, it's a blessing that we also reach out to others through the internet, through TV and so forth. And I hope to be an encouragement to them as well. But my highest priority is the people sitting in this room. So I'm going to speak the truth to you. Amen. But these are the encouraging words of God. I don't I want to flip them around and make them sound negative. We are kept by the power of God. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able I just want to encourage you that these promises hinge upon our cooperation. God does the heavy lifting, but we have a part to play. But I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It is not your hold of Christ that saves you, but His hold of you. Now, here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13... It says, but with the temptation, God will also make the way of escape. But again, if you stop there, you might think, well, God's going to get me out of this. No. Read the last phrase. That you may be able to bear it. That means He's not necessarily going to remove you from the trial or remove the trial from you. The way of escape, folks... Is to hide your life in Him, in Christ. Did he, it's like I've used this example before. It's like when you're lifting free weights, you'll often have a spotter in case you slip, in case you try to lift more than you can. The spotter is there to grab the weight so that it doesn't crush your chest. If you're on a bench press and you're lifting. You've got a spotter there. If he sees you're in trouble, boy, he grabs that weight. God is our spotter. You see? He's there with us the whole time. He's allowing these things to happen to teach us, to strengthen us, to grow us, but he's also ready, willing, and able to grab the weight so that it will not crush us. Okay. 1 Peter 1.5 Again, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be be revealed in the last time. Through faith, God's power to protect us is imparted to us as we put our faith in Him, Jesus Christ specifically, for the salvation of our souls. Through faith for salvation. The power of God to protect us, to keep us, to guard us is activated in our lives As we put our faith in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls. What's the message here? We will have to endure trials in this life. But as we do, God is constantly watching over us and protecting our salvation. Are these bodies temporary? Are they going to go one way or the other sooner or later? Either by natural causes or by accident or what have you. One way or another, Every one of these physical bodies is going to fail, right? That's why God's focus, God's priority is on eternity, on the salvation of our souls. Because that part of us is eternal. That's the part that's really in jeopardy. There's no question about the physical body. You could be the most holy, purest, devout person on the planet... You'd still be a sinner, by the way. But you could, you could eat the purest of foods. What is that micro... There's some kind of a diet that's like just... just super pure, clean, mic, microbiotic thing. or <laughs> Macrobiotic. You know, you could drink water that's been run through like 10 purifiers... You know, you could uh, you could strap a an air purifier to your chest and go around breathing. You know, it'd have to be battery powered or solar powered or something. You know, but you're still the body's still going to die, right? And then people then people get mad at God when somebody dies, like it's a big shock, like it wasn't going to happen. What's up, God? They died. And God's up there going, what did you expect? No, he's about keeping us, protecting our salvation. 2 Timothy one twelve, Paul says, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know, know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day, big D, that day when I see Him face to face. He's able to keep what I have committed. What have you committed to Him? The salvation of your soul. Your eternal existence. Either to perish for all eternity in the fires of hell or live forever in paradise with God. You've entrusted Him with your eternal soul. And Paul says, guess what? He is able to keep what I've committed to Him. While we're out there doing all kinds of goofy stuff, God is all about the business 24-7 of protecting, guarding, keeping us in Christ, our salvation, our eternal soul. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We've really only seen a glimpse of what our salvation looks like. Do you know that? Now, We have an inner witness. John Wesley coined that term, I believe. He preached for many years without being truly born again. And then he, John Wesley, got saved. And he realized, you know what? I never had an inner witness before. Now he had the inner witness, the Holy Spirit living inside him, confirming to him that he truly was saved, born again, a child of God. We have an inner witness that we're saved And if you don't have that inner witness, I'm going to ask you to come up at the end of the service and pray with some of the people up here and truly be born again and obtain that inner witness. It's been described many times, many places, by many believers as, I know that I know that I know. Now we have an inner witness that we're saved, but the full revelation of our salvation will come in the last time ready to be revealed in the last time, the last days when Jesus returns for us and we receive our immortal glorified bodies. That's when the fullness of our salvation will be revealed. I just talked about the temporary nature of these physical bodies and how it's inevitable no matter what, they are going to die. This is the part of us that has not yet been redeemed. Because we still dwell in these mortal, rotting, decaying bodies destined for death. But when we stand before the Lord and we have received that immortal, eternal, glorified, imperishable, incorruptible body, and we know Him even as we are known, we see now in part, then face to face, then the fullness of our salvation will be revealed. And that will be the most glorious treasure and inheritance of all, by the way. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Paul says, Now we see in a mirror. It's just a reflection. Dimly. Mirrors in Paul's day were not very clear or bright. But then face to face. Now I know in part, Paul says. Boy, if Paul only knew in part, where does that put the rest of us? But then I shall know Just as I am also known. That in and of itself, if you ponder that, is mind-blowing. There's a term now in the technological community called transcendence. And I talk about this stuff a lot. I don't know if you guys are skeptical or what, but it's really happening. Where they're attempting to merge human beings with computers, computer chips, and even to the point, and there was a movie made a while back with Johnny Depp about this, it turned out pretty horrible. <laughs> I mean, the, the scenario did, not the movie necessarily, but the scenario f- where they want to be able to upload all the information from your brain into a computer and essentially give you eternal life by removing your consciousness and the sum of all your knowledge and information into a computer, which theoretically then could be downloaded into a microchip and, uh, and planted in a clone or whatever. I mean, all kinds of crazy, weird stuff, but it's really happening, folks. But it's all Satan's attempt to imitate and counterfeit and usurp what God is doing, because when we see Jesus face to face, Paul says, I will know even as I am known. The sum total of all the information that God holds, I believe, is going to be transmitted. To us. That's real transcendence. When we. We will still be separate. Individuals. With eternal. Bodies. But we will be part of this. Corporate. Oneness. I'm not saying this in some weird. New age kind of a way. But there will be this merger. Because there will be no more. Imperfection. No more sin. No more corruption. We will be one with God. We are now, but it'll be in a much greater way then. You follow me? Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. I want to read Romans eight eighteen through 25. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Again, that's what we're talking about when God's glory is fully revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, why why are the last days being characterized and will be characterized by an increase in seismic activity, earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis, all this stuff? Why is that part of the end time scenario? Because all of creation is eagerly waiting and groaning for this new birth when Christ comes back to rule the world. The creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Wait a minute. I thought we were already revealed. Well, let's get us all together and just walk down the street. And we're part of a big crowd. Do we look any different than everybody else? No. How do you know a son of God from a not son of God? I mean, there are some... <laughs> sometimes it's pretty obvious. But we haven't been fully revealed yet. Again, sometimes you, look at it, you can tell a, by a person's countenance. You're a believer, aren't you? You ever experienced that? That's pretty cool. But by and large, we all look the same. For the most part, there's nothing about us that we we go walking down the street and somebody's going to fall on their face and get saved because I'm in their presence. (laughs) Wow, you're a son of God! (laughs) So creation, all of creation is waiting for, for us to be fully revealed as the sons of God. Now think about the implications for those who are not sons of God. What they're going to look like. C.S. Lewis gets into some of that in his writings. For the creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God subjected all of creation. When man fell, when Adam and Eve fell, all of creation came under the curse. You know? That's why we have these horrendous weeds. It's a daily battle to get your grass to grow and be green and look nice. You don't have to do anything to a weed. Man, they just pop up like nobody's business. You almost need napalm to get rid of them. That's part of the curse. The whole of creation is cursed. Animals didn't used to kill each other and eat each other. And they didn't used to kill humans and eat humans. And humans didn't kill them and eat them. Everybody, it was all peace. It was like the 60s, before the 60s. <laughs> creation was subjected to futility. Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So when we are fully revealed as sons of God, when we are perfected, all of creation will be restored. For we know that the whole creation groans. There's the volcanoes, the earthquakes, the seismic activity, the eruptions that's going on. The the earth is in travail, moving towards a new birth. The whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen. Oh, listen to this. Hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Make sense? Sure it does. We hope for things we haven't seen. We don't need to hope for the things we do see. They're already there. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. What was I just talking about a moment ago? People who are serious about following God. Serious about being believers. Children of God. Sons of God. Perseverance. If we hope for what we do not see, Jesus, the ultimate revealing of our status as sons of God, our perfection, we eagerly wait for it. Eagerly. Again, how many believers in the world, particularly the Western world, because in third world countries where following Christ could cost you your life, you find that those who really proclaim their faith, they're serious. They're not messing around. When you've got an Al-Qaeda or ISIS operative standing in front of you telling you either you convert to Islam or we're going to cut off your head and you say, no way, Jose, and guess what? They cut off your head. That's a serious believer. But in the Western world, how many those who claim to be followers of Christ are eagerly waiting? The majority of them are saying, oh, don't focus on that stuff. You guys are a bunch of wacko, conspiracy theory, right-wing, fundamentalist, Bible-thumping, hobophobic <laughs> whack-jobs. Jesus isn't coming anytime soon. Just focus on being a better person. Learning to love yourself. You need to quit reading all this Bible prophecy and read some good literature like the shack (laughs) and Jesus calling. That's what we're up against, folks. You better believe it. I hope nobody went to see that movie, The Shack. Don't tell me if you did. I don't want to be mean to you. Oh, that guy that wrote the book, the people that made the film, they don't deserve one penny of our money. That is a blasphemous piece of trash, promoting universalism, deceiving people into thinking everybody gets to go to heaven, doesn't matter what you believe. That's what it is. Okay, that's all my daily commentary for today. (laughs) I think. Okay, verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice, Peter says. In what? The knowledge of our secure position. Not that we're promised no trials, no difficulties. No, but we're shielded by God's power. The knowledge of our secure position and our inheritance should result in rejoicing. People rejoice over their tax refund, their Christmas bonus, getting approved for the new house, the new car, the birth of a child, which is certainly something to rejoice over. But do we rejoice at least as much, if not more so, over the fact that that we are kept by the power of God. That we have a secure position in Christ and we have an inheritance that makes anything and everything this world has to offer look like the garbage that it actually is. In this you greatly rejoice. Luke 10:20. He sent out the 70. First he sent out the 12, then he sent out the 70 and they're healing the sick and casting out demons and all this stuff and boy are they stoked. To use a Southern California term, bro. (laughs) Stoked. I'm so stoked, bro. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. That seems like a pretty big deal. Jesus says, no, don't rejoice in that. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. These signs shall follow those that believe. But rather rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. Hello? The next time you get all bummed out and burned out and want to throw in the towel, how about reminding yourself of that? My name is written in heaven. Though, uh uh-oh, though now for a little while, oh, I've been on this planet so long, so many years, It's a drop in the bucket. It's a grain of sand. Though now for a little while, in the light of eternity, all our trials, suffering, and grief are momentary. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. We started off this study talking about the fact that Peter was writing to a group of believers who were under severe trial, persecution, and so forth. If need be. That's an important little phrase. If need be. God only allows trials in the lives of His people when they are necessary to accomplish His purposes. Sometimes we think, Oy vey! Can anything else go wrong? I think I had a day like that recently. It might have even been yesterday. <laughs> but we, again, we lose our perspective. Our lives... As believers, nothing is coincidental. Nothing is by chance. Nothing is happenstance. God is absolutely in control. You're kept by the power of God. If need be, God only allows trials in the lives of His people when they're necessary to accomplish His purposes. Growing us, strengthening us, transforming us. Again, building patience like we read earlier. And so... If you're experiencing what seems to be an overabundance of trials, that just means God's got a lot of work to do, you see? We hate to admit that, right? You've heard the old expression, please be patient, God is not finished with me yet. But we need to be patient, because God is not finished with us yet. If need be. And by the way, His ultimate purpose in all these things, guess what? It's not about you, it's about Him. It's for His glory. It's not for your glory. It's about him. So he says, in this you greatly rejoice. So you might ask the question, how in the world would grievous trials cause me to rejoice? Here we go. Verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, these trials that should, according to Peter, actually cause us to rejoice. Of course, we rejoice over the fact that we're kept by the power of God. We rejoice over the inheritance that he has in store for us. But we also rejoice, as we saw in James, count it all joy, When you encounter various trials. That the genuineness of your faith. Folks. Since life. Death. And eternity. Hinge on the genuineness of your faith. will you agree with that? Let me say that again. Life. Death. And eternity. Hinge on the genuineness of your faith and my faith. A false faith. A phony faith, an insincere faith, ain't going to cut it. We're not going to wind up where we want to wind up. We're not going to get the inheritance. We're not going to be kept by the power of God. Only a genuine faith will do that. Noah Webster says genuine means real, a real faith, a natural faith, true, pure, not spurious, false, or adulterated the genuineness of our faith. I want to challenge each one of us this morning. There's nothing more important. I think we've covered a lot of things this morning that should help us to be able to analyze and recognize whether we possess a genuine faith. Some people have a cultural faith. They have a religiosity. Maybe they grew up in church. That's what they've always known. It's a great place for social networking. You know, um, it's a great alternative to the bars and, and nightclubs and so forth. I don't like to hang out in that environment, so it's kind of nice to hang out with religious people. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a genuine faith in the very living Son of God, the one and only Son of God, who was born into this world of the Virgin Mary, who lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for the sins of the world, and on the third day He rose from the dead and then... Forty days later, he ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where your faith must be placed. And you must believe with all your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer, and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you put your faith in him, you make the commitment that from now until the time that you see him face to face, you will follow him, you will love him, you will live for him, you will serve him, and you will not turn back. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we know that these words are not the words of men. They are empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we believe they have the power to save, the power to change hearts, transform lives we pray for anyone here today god who is not at this point does not have that inner witness even now your holy spirit is searching the hearts of men and women in this room lord there may be someone or more than one who even now realizes they don't have the inner witness they're not really sure that they are truly born again that they're a child of god they have doubt they have concerns we pray that this very day they would come and pray, and be prayed for, and receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and be born again by the Spirit of God. Lord, for others that perhaps truly are born again, but the enemy has been using various tactics in order to discourage them, uh, demoralize them, maybe uh, put them in a state of fear, Lord, and maybe question their salvation, we know that the enemy loves to do that. We pray that they too would receive ministry today, and be set free from anything that would Hold them back from wholly, fully following you and being able to rejoice as Peter talked about today, Lord. We don't rejoice because bad things happen to us. We rejoice because we are kept by the power of God and that you use these things for good in our lives. So I just pray that you'd encourage each one today as we prepare to go home, that you would receive our offering of praise once again as we sing this final song and that you would bless the ministry time here, that anyone and everyone who needs ministry would come forward and take advantage of that opportunity, and the rest of us would just remain in a worshipful attitude of prayer that you would really bless the folks that do come and pour out your spirit upon them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.